Well, I want you to turn in your Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 1, Matthew 1, verses 21 through 23. And I want to speak to you on the subject, what did you say was the baby's name? I love parent-child dedications. I love them for multiple reasons. I always like to hear why people named their children what they named them. You know, they, they didn't have a baby and then go down the hall to the room eight doors down and say, I don't know, what do you think we ought to name our kid? Uh, they talked about it, they prayed about it, they thought about it, about what their child would be named. And that name has a meaning and a purpose. Uh, I was named Michael Cameron, Michael, angel of God, but what much of that growing up, but... Uh, Cameron means bent nose, I guess, when I was playing sports, I should have gotten my nose broken. But uh, uh, that's my name, and I'm named Cameron, and it's my middle name, because that was the doctor who delivered me with my birth mother, who worked out the adoption with my adoptive parents. So they had a reason for that name. I never, I thought, man, that's kind of weird, just name me after the doctor that gave birth to me, but he's also was my family doctor until we got married, and I grew up with his kids. But I love these times because they tell us why someone gave that name to their children. In Matthew chapter 21, we see that God had a name for his son. Chapter 1, verse 21, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. Now all of this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a name, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. Now, I have several books in my library that are the multiple names and titles of Jesus and the multiple names and titles of God. There are so many ways that God is described that he chooses to reveal himself and describe himself so we get a picture of him, of who he is and what he is like. But let me just give you a few about Jesus that are either names or titles. The most popular name in the Bible for Jesus is the Christ. The second is Lord. The word Lord is used over 400 times in the New Testament. Son of man, which was actually Jesus' favorite term for himself, is used 84 times in the New Testament, mostly in Luke's gospel. The one you see who shared divine glory, descended and became all man while still being all God. He is known as the last Adam or the second Adam. That refers to his human nature. He's also known as the Lord from heaven. That refers to his divine nature. He's known as the Son of God 32 times. He didn't become the Son of God. He always was. He was always with the Father, the Christ, the Son of the living God. He's called in John's gospel the only begotten, the, 
the unique monogenesis or monogenes, whichever way you want to pronounce it, the unique one-of-a-kind Son of God, John 3.16. Nine times he is referred to as the firstborn. He's the firstborn of every creation. He's the firstborn from the dead, and he's the firstborn of every creature. These are titles and names but the name that saves is the name of Jesus. Salvation is in a name. It's amazed me with the advent of uh, the internet that there's so much interest in websites and in uh, searching for our family heritage and, and our roots and our ancestors, especially if you grew up in a family that didn't keep a lot of information in a family Bible, uh, we have a family Bible that dates back a few generations that has the date when people were born and died and when people married, but it's not complete. Well, DNA and Ancestry.com and a few other sites have allowed us all to go back, if we choose to, and find out what our roots are. Now, we all go back to Adam. Ultimately, we all go back to Adam, but we kind of like, you know, want to know what our roots are. For some of us, it fills in a gap, it, especially if you have a parent and a step-parent or if you've been adopted or, or whatever is, is different about you that you want to try to fill in a gap. The, those kind of sites and the DNA testing will help you fill in some of those gaps. Would. Terry gave us DNA test uh, for Christmas a few years ago. And uh, to be quite honest, I'm just going to be really honest, she was hoping that our DNA, my DNA test would reveal something exotic. You know, like I'm Italian, part Italian, or Greek, or Native American because my adoptive father was a quarter Cherokee Indian. So, so she was hoping there'd be something exotic and, and she got the DNA test back and I'm just a European vanilla white guy. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's all I am. And uh, she's been sadly disappointed, but the medication is helping her. <laughs> For the Jews, genealogy was essential. It was important. It was no small thing to know where you had come from. And uh, John MacArthur, in a little book he wrote about Christmas, gave four reasons why the genealogies and knowing your ancestors' names were important to the Jews. So let me just give them to you quickly. First of all, ancestry determined one's claim to the land based on the original 12 locations of the 12 tribes in the Promised Land. See, it would tell you what tribe you were from and where your ancestors lived in the Promised Land. You didn't roam the whole land of Israel trying to figure out where your tribe came from. Your tribe came from one of 12. Secondly, ancestry determined claims to the right of inheritance claims to the right of inheritance. Uh, Terry and I this week were updating our, our wills and, and our legal documents. And 
what, what this did in the genealogies, it lets you know who owned the property and who owned the crops and who owned the possessions and the validity of any claim of property was going back to the ancestry records and seeing who you were related to. You couldn't claim something if they were not in your family line. Thirdly, ancestry in Israel established the basis of taxation. That's why Joseph and Mary had to go to Bethlehem because they were both from the line of David. But this is the big one. Number four, any claim to the priesthood or royalty had to be verified by genealogy. Any claim. Nobody could usurp the throne. Nobody could just say, well, I'm of the line of Levi. I come from a priestly line. Nobody could do that. Ezra chapter 2 gives us an account of some men who made some claims that they could not back up because they were not in the records. So to say that you are of the kingly line or the priestly line or the line of Messiah would require documented proof. You couldn't just claim it. That's why there were so many false messiahs. There were people who were false messiahs who called themselves Jesus at the time of Jesus. But you had to have documented, verifiable proof. And so the genealogies, which we will not take time to read all of those names today, the genealogies in Matthew and Luke are there for a purpose. God didn't just say, you know, we need X number of pages in the Bible. Let's just fill them up with a bunch of names so people can skip those chapters. They were there for a reason. They were there to confirm and actually verify records for generations. It was like going to the courthouse to verify your records. And so when Joseph and Mary went, they went to the place that verified that they were of the house of David. So that's where they would go and pay taxes. Now, Jesus fulfilled a lot of prophecies. This text says that the prophecies of the prophet might be fulfilled. But let me just give you three that are really important here related to the virgin birth. First of all, the birth in Bethlehem was predicted in Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. So people kind of went, yeah, he's from Bethlehem. You know, it's a nothing town, and it's still a small town. Uh, I, I've been to Bethlehem. I've been to the site that they say is the site of his birth. Nobody knows that. It's probably in the shepherd fields outside of the city, most likely. But Micah 5.2 was fulfilled when he was born in Bethlehem. The flight to Egypt when Herod started killing the children was fulfilled of Hosea chapter 11 and verse 1. The killing of the children by Herod fulfills Jeremiah 31 and verse 15. So the records in Matthew and in Luke give the credentials and the credibility that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the one who has come. 
to save his people from their sin. Now, here's what's interesting about these two lines. Luke moves from the present to the past. When you read Luke's genealogy, he moves from the present to the past and goes all the way back to Adam and goes all the way back to before creation to God himself. Now, remember, Luke is a doctor. He's a theologian. He, he is a keeper of details. If you read the Gospel of Luke, if you read the book of Acts, I mean, Luke was a, a keeper of details. And he wrote this Gospel, and he included this de- genealogy, the smallest of details, about people that everybody else would have forgotten. But he went to Bethlehem and found the records that would say if Jesus was or was not of the line of David. Matthew, whereas Luke moves from present to past, Matthew moves from past to present. And he starts with Abraham and ends with Jesus. And and although Matthew's Record seems to be a lot and a lot of names that you can't pronounce, maybe. And it seems to be exhaustive. Here's the thing. Most of us cannot go back more than three or four generations to name our ancestors. I mean, we might remember our our aunts and uncles or our great aunts and uncles. We might have known our grandparents. We might have known our great grandparents, but we get to about the third or fourth generation, and especially in a world where we don't do the big family reunions like we used to do. Uh, There's a family reunion that happens in Terry's family every Memorial Day weekend. We have not been to it in 40 years, and it's dwindling down, but the Robinson family all gathers there at a park on a lake, and they all take pictures and eat food and take naps and burp. I guess that's what they do. I'm not sure, but they they get together, and they always invite us, but they always do it on a Sunday, which makes it a little hard for us to get away and do that. Now, why did Matthew arrange his list this way? Matthew was writing primarily to a Jewish audience to prove to them that Jesus was the Jewish Messiah. So from the very beginning, first words, he wants to prove to the Jews, you've been looking and waiting for a Messiah. There have been 400 years of silence since the book of Malachi was written. Now we want you to know that Jesus is the fulfillment. As the silence is broken, let's go back to Abraham who is the father of the nation, and let's look at the record of Jesus and let's verify that he is who he says he is. Uh, Terry and I were going through some pictures uh, just yesterday, and uh, we're, we're trying to digitize pictures because for some reason we have a lot of pictures, and then when her parents died, we got their pictures, and when my parents died, we got their pictures, and you know that was some of that was in the day when you know you could go and get your pictures printed, get one, get a copy free, and so now we've got like duplicates like crazy, and I'm going, you know, somebody invent some technology that just 
like makes these melt that are duplicates. So we can just do this a little easier. And then you add the 9,000 pictures that are on my phone and the 6,000 that are on her phone. And, uh, well, I don't know, you might get the picture, I'm not sure. Uh, that was a joke, you'll get, it, you'll, you'll get it in just a minute. But we were looking yesterday and, and we were looking through my mom's Bible and I found a picture and I turned it on the back. I was, my mom and dad were good about writing the names of people on their Bibles. And so I found a picture on the back of my mom's great-grandfather, which would make him my great-great-grandfather. It was a picture I had never seen. And then I found the article in the newspaper for my dad's grandmother for her 100th birthday. She was born in 1864. And she, all of her relatives fought during the war between the states. And uh, she would tell me stories when I was growing up of stories that her brothers and sisters had told her when she came home from the war. It was fascinating uh, to find some of this stuff. And then I found pictures of relatives that I wish I wasn't related to. <laughs> I, I found school pictures from the New Hebron, Mississippi High School of my uncle Robert Lee when he was five years old. And of course, the school at that time would have had everybody from first grade to 12th grade. And I'm going, which one is Robert Lee? Turn it on the back. It says, third row, number six, Robert Lee. And I said, there's Robert Lee. Terry said, how'd you know that? I said, discernment. <laughs> we found five books in, in, a, in just a tub that we've had in our basement. We found five books of the history of the cat name. We were looking for four more because cats have nine lives. Just so you know. Basket counts. <laughs> we found five. One of them dates back to the 1640s. Now, I already had a book of the Lee family, which dates back to Virginia. We don't know where they exist, apparently from Europe or England or somewhere. And we have the the cemetery records from where my great-grandparents are buried and their grandparents are buried. But it was fascinating to look through these books and to see all these names and to realize that somebody in our family put together all these names for us to know. Now, we don't have pictures of them from the 16 and 1700s, but we do have a list of names. Terry's been doing... Uh, genealogical chart of my birth mom and my birth dad and so she's charted it up and she's you know she put this big piece of paper on the wall and she's up about this high and she's got about this much more room to go when she che checked her DNA she found out that she is distantly related to Abraham Lincoln and I said to her no wonder you've been trying to kill me all these years Matthew, that was a real long detour, wasn't it? Uh, 
Matthew was a tax collector, so he would have had attention to detail. And if you want to write something by that genealogy in Matthew, you ought to write this. Matthew is telling the Jewish people, this all adds up to Messiah. All of these names add up to Messiah. They're different lists of different names. Luke goes back to David through Nathan, David's third son. Matthew goes back to David through Solomon. Matthew's genealogy is paternal, the line of Joseph. Luke's genealogy is maternal through the line of Mary. Now, you say, well, Joseph's line shouldn't marry because he's the son of God. It just marries about matters about Mary's line. But if you've got people that are going to criticize the son of God who says he is going to be and will be the king of kings and the lord of lords, then both sides of the family, even if they don't believe in the virgin birth, match up in the kingly line. So there is no non-kingly line in the line of Jesus, either for Joseph, who did not give him birth, but Mary, yes, it is in her. So the bloodline and the legal line are there. So why did he come? He came to save his people from their sins. Well, let me give you uh, four reasons why Jesus came to save you. Number one, he came to save us, Matthew 1, 18 through 25. So that we would not live in lostness and we would not live in darkness and we would not live in defeat and death and hopelessness. He came to save us from our sins. God with us to reveal himself. John 1, verses 1 through 18, the prologue of John. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the Son of God. God with us to comfort us, Psalm 23, verses 1 through 6, and John 17, to comfort us. When we're disturbed and don't know and we're fearful, whatever our anxieties are, he, he came to comfort us. And then fourthly, God with us to indwell us. He said, I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit after I'm gone. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 14, obviously, John chapter 14. It is interesting to me as I study uh, these genealogies and these records, not one time in Scripture and not one document ever found in history, not one ever discredits what Matthew and Luke said about Jesus being from the line of David. Nobody wrote anything. I mean, people will say, well, we don't think he's the Messiah. We think he was a prophet. We think he was a preacher. We think he was a teacher. But we don't believe he was the Son of God. But none of them have ever written a word or any words or group of words that say he's not of the line of David because we've studied Judaism, and in Judaism he has to be of the line of David. None of them have refuted that. Why? Because the Jews kept accurate records, accurate genealogies. The family records were readily available in the synagogue 
in Bethlehem. The synagogue was where you would carry on public business as well as worship. It would be like our courthouse today. So they kept family records, and when a new child was born, they would roll the scroll out and write a name, and when that scroll began to deteriorate, they would make another scroll, just like they did with the scriptures, so that the scriptures would be preserved. Now, if you wanted to refute Jesus as the Messiah, if you wanted to say, well, I know the people like him, I know he's been healing people, I know the, the people listen to him and he's drawn great crowds, but he's a troublemaker, and after all, he's not Messiah. This is a joke. I mean, he's just set himself up for people to say he's the Messiah, but he's not the Messiah. All they had to do, and this is important for anybody that ever says to you, I don't believe Jesus is the Son of God. I don't believe he's the Messiah. All they had to do was walk from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. It's five miles. The critics, the cynics, the scribes, the Pharisees, the high priest could have walked and asked to see the public records at any time during the earthly ministry of Jesus and said, we want to see whether he really is a son of David. We want to really see if he's a child in the line in the lineage of David. We want to be able to refute that he is not in the kingly line, that he is not in the line of Abraham. We want to be able to put this down right now. And if they had, it would have all been over. Either they never made the trip, or when they make the, made the trip, they found the information and they decided to ignore it because they hated him so much. The records attest and the disciples proclaim that Jesus is Son of God and Son of Man, fully God and fully man, the only one who could fulfill the Scripture. Now today we, we've dedicated some cute kids and their parents are full of joy. And God spoke to Mary and told her she was going to conceive and have a child. And God told Joseph that he needed to marry her and not put her aside when he found out she was pregnant, although they were not married and she was a virgin. All of those things that came together, all of the genealogies came together for a reason. There is one name under heaven by which men and women can be saved. Just one. You and I can't be saved because we wear the name Baptist. You can't be saved because you're a member of Sherwood. You can't be saved because you were baptized. You can't be saved because you, you have a favorite Christian author. There's only one name by which we can be saved. And that's the name of Jesus. There's an old song that says, Jesus is the sweetest name I know. I want to tell you, if you've not met Jesus, he can save you today from your sin. He can remove the guilt. He can remove the shame. 
He can forgive you of that which you cannot even forgive yourself. The name of Jesus, not just a name, but the person who bore that name, who took that name to the cross and had it nailed above the cross. Here is the King of the Jews. That could not have even been nailed on the cross unless he had come through the kingly line of David. Apparently, Caesar made sure that that was true while the nails were even going through his hands. The king of the Jews. But he wants to be the king of your heart. Let's pray together. Father, we know and we believe that Jesus is the only name under heaven whereby we might be saved. And I pray for anyone here today that doesn't know you as their personal Lord and Savior, that today would be the day of salvation, that now would be the accepted time, that you would speak to their hearts, that you would convict them of sin, but also convict them of the hope that is ours in Jesus Christ, and that today, in this day, we would call on the name of Jesus for salvation. For we pray it in his name. And God's people said, Amen. Amen.